Section eight of the Life of Abraham Lincoln, Volume two, by Ida Tarbell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty five Lincoln and Emancipation. Part two. In order to learn the situation of the Army of the Potomac more exactly than he could from McClellan's despairing and often contradictory letters and telegrams, the President himself went to Harrison's Landing in July the first and important result of his visit was that it fixed his determination to do something immediately about emancipation he was convinced that he was not going to have any military encouragement very soon to offer to his supporters but he must show them some fruits of their efforts some sign that the men and money they were pouring into mcclellan's trap as it was beginning to be called were not lost that the new call for three hundred thousand men just made was not to be in vain there was nothing to do but use emancipation in some way as a weapon and he summoned the representatives of the border states to the white house on july twelfth and made an earnest almost passionate appeal to them to consider his proposition of march sixth it is doubtful if mr lincoln in all his political career ever had a measure more at heart than his scheme for compensated emancipation isaac arnold who knew him well said that rarely if ever was he known to manifest such solicitude as over this measure oh how i wish the border states would accept my proposition he said to arnold and owen lovejoy one day then you lovejoy and you arnold and all of us would not have lived in vain the labor of your life lovejoy would be crowned with success you would live to see the end of slavery could you have seen the president wrote sumner once to a friend as it was my great privilege often while he was considering the great questions on which he has already acted the invitation to emancipation in the states emancipation in the district of columbia and the acknowledgment of the independence of haiti and liberia even your zeal would have been satisfied his whole soul was occupied especially by the first proposition which was peculiarly his own in familiar intercourse with him i remember nothing more touching than the earnestness and completeness with which he embraced this idea to his mind it was just and beneficent while it promised the sure end of slavery his address to the border states representatives on july twelfth is full of this conviction i intend no reproach or complaint he said when i assure you that in my opinion if you all had voted for the resolution in the gradual emancipation message of last march the war would now be substantially ended and the plan therein proposed is yet one of the most potent and swift means of ending it let the states which are in rebellion see definitely and certainly that in no event will the states you represent ever join their proposed confederacy and they cannot much longer maintain the contest but you cannot divest them of their hope to ultimately have you with them so long as you show a determination to perpetuate the institution within your own states beat them at elections as you have overwhelmingly done and nothing daunted they still claim you as their own you and i know what the lever of their power is break that lever before their faces and they can shake you no more for ever 
if the war continues long as it must if the object be not sooner attained the institution in your states will be extinguished by mere friction and abrasion by the mere incidents of the war it will be gone and you will have nothing valuable in lieu of it much of its value is gone already how much better for you and your people to take the step which at once shortens the war and secures substantial compensation for that which is sure to be wholly lost in any other event i am pressed with a difficulty not yet mentioned one which threatens division among those who united are none too strong an instance of it is known to you general hunter is an honest man he was and i hope still is my friend i valued him none the less for his agreeing with me in the general wish that all men everywhere could be free he proclaimed all men free within certain states and i repudiated the proclamation he expected more good and less harm from the measure than i could believe would follow yet in repudiating it i gave dissatisfaction if not offence to many whose support the country cannot afford to lose and this is not the end of it the pressure in this direction is still upon me and is increasing by conceding what i now ask you can relieve me and much more can relieve the country in this important point our common country is in great peril demanding the loftiest views and the boldest action to bring its speedy relief once relieved its form of government is saved to the world its beloved history and cherished memories are vindicated and its happy future fully assured and rendered inconceivably grand to you more than to any others the privilege is given to assure that happiness and swell that grandeur and to link your own names therewith forever the majority of the border states representatives rejected the president's appeal now mr lincoln never came to a point in his public career where he did not have a card in reserve and he never lacked the courage to play it if he was forced to i must save this government if possible he said now that his best efforts for compensated emancipation were vain what i cannot do of course i will not do but it may as well be understood once for all that i shall not surrender this game leaving any available card unplayed just what his available card was he hinted to secretary seward and secretary wells the very day after his interview with the border state representatives he had about come to the conclusion he said that he must free the slaves by proclamation or be himself subdued it was a new departure for the president writes wells in his diary for until this time in all our previous interviews whenever the question of emancipation or the mitigation of slavery had been in any way alluded to he had been prompt and emphatic in denouncing any interference by the general government with the institution it was probably very shortly after this that a curious interview took place between mr lincoln and his old and intimate friend leonard Swett which shows admirably the struggle in the president's mind the story of this interview mr sweat used to tell often to his friends and it is through the courtesy of one of them the hon pete stenger grosskup united states circuit judge for the seventh judicial circuit that it is given here 
one day during the course of the war when mr sweat was at his home in bloomington illinois he received a telegram asking him to come immediately to the president the second morning afterwards found him in washington thinking that something unusual was at hand he went to the white house upon his arrival and before eating his breakfast mr lincoln asked him immediately into the cabinet room and after making a few inquiries about mutual friends in illinois pulled up his chair to a little cabinet of drawers sweat of course awaited in silence the developments opening a drawer lincoln took out a manuscript which he said was a letter from william lloyd garrison and which he proceeded to read it proved to be an eloquent and passionate appeal for the immediate emancipation of the slaves it recalled the devotion and loyalty of the north but pointed out with something like peremptoriness that unless some step was taken to cut out by the roots the institution of slavery the expectations of the north would be disappointed and its ardor correspondingly cooled it went into the moral wrong that lay at the bottom of the war and insisted that the war could not in the nature of things be ended until the wrong was at an end the letter throughout was entirely characteristic of garrison laying it back without comment mr lincoln took out another which proved to be a letter from garrett davis of kentucky it too treated of emancipation but from the border state point of view it carefully balanced the martial and moral forces of the north and south and pointed out that if the border states now divided almost equally between the belligerents were thrown unitedly to the south a conclusion of the war favorable to the north would be next to impossible it then proceeded to recall that slavery was an institution of these border states with which their people had grown familiar and upon which much of their prosperity was founded emancipation especially emancipation without compensation would in that quarter of the country be looked upon as a stab at prosperity and a departure from the original union purposes of the war it begged mr lincoln to be led by the northern abolition sentiment into no such irretrievable mistake laying this back lincoln took out another which turned out to be from a then prominent swiss statesman a sympathizer with the northern cause but whose name i cannot recall it breathed all through an ardent wish that the north should succeed the writer's purpose was to call attention to the foreign situation and the importance of preventing foreign intervention this he summed up as follows the governing classes in england and napoleon in france were favorable to the success of the confederacy they were looking for a pretext upon which to base some sort of intervention anything that in international law would justify intervention would be quickly utilized a situation justifying such a pretext must be avoided the writer then pointed out that from the earliest times any interference with the enemy's slaves had been regarded as a cruel and improper expedient that emancipation would be represented to europe as an equivalent of inciting slave insurrection and would be seized upon the writer feared as a pretext upon which forcibly to intervene the letter went over the whole foreign situation bringing out clearly this phase of the consequences of emancipation laying this letter back the president turned to mr sweat and without a word of inquiry took up himself the subject of emancipation 
not only in the phases pointed out by the letters just read but every possible phase and consequence under which it could be considered for more than an hour he debated the situation first the one side and then the other of every question arising his manner did not indicate that he wished to impress his views upon his hearer but rather to weigh and examine them for his own enlightenment in the presence of his hearer it was an instance of stating conclusions aloud not that they might convince another or be combated by him but that the speaker might see for himself how they looked when taken out of the region of mere reflection and embodied in words the president's deliverance was so judicial and so free from the quality of debate or appearance of a wish to convince that mr swett felt himself to be not so much a hearer of lincoln's views as a witness of the president's mental operations the president was simply framing his thought in words under the eye of his friend that he might clear up his own mind when the president concluded he asked for no comment and made no inquiry but rising expressed his hope that mr swett would get home safely and entrusted to him some messages to their mutual friends the audience thus ended mr lincoln had no doubt determined at this time on the emancipation proclamation perhaps had in his drawer with the letters he read to mr swett the original draft which as he afterwards told mr f b carpenter he prepared without consultation with or the knowledge of the cabinet it was on july twenty second that after much anxious thought he called a cabinet meeting to consider the subject i said to the cabinet the president told mr carpenter that i had resolved upon this step and had not called them together to ask their advice but to lay the subject matter of a proclamation before them suggestions as to which would be in order after they had heard it read the gist of the proclamation which mr lincoln read to the cabinet was that on the first day of january eighteen sixty three all persons held as slaves within any state or states wherein the constitutional authority of the united states should not then be practically recognized should then thenceforward and forever be free he called his proclamation a fit and necessary military measure and prefaced it by declaring that upon the next meeting of congress he intended to recommend a practical plan for giving pecuniary aid to any state which by that time had adopted gradual abolishment of slavery the cabinet seems to have been bewildered by the sweeping proposition of the president nicolay and hay quote a memorandum of the meeting made by secretary stanton in which he says the measure goes beyond anything i have recommended mr lincoln in his account of the meeting given to mr carpenter says various suggestions were offered nothing however was offered that i had not already fully anticipated and settled in my own mind until secretary seward spoke he said in substance mr president i approve of the proclamation but i question the expediency of its issue at this juncture the depression of the public mind consequent upon our repeated reverses is so great that i fear the effect of so important a step it may be viewed as the last measure of an exhausted government a cry for help the government stretching forth its hands to ethiopia instead of ethiopia stretching forth her hands to the government his idea was that it should be considered our last shriek on the retreat 
now continued mr seward while i approve the measure i suggest sir that you postpone its issue until you can give it to the country supported by military success instead of issuing it as would be the case now upon the greatest disasters of the war the wisdom of the view of the secretary of state struck me with very great force it was an aspect of the case that in all my thoughts upon the subject i had entirely overlooked the result was that i put the draft of the proclamation aside as you do your sketch for a picture waiting for a victory from time to time i added or changed a line touching it up here and there anxiously waiting the progress of events the victory mr lincoln waited for was long in coming disaster after disaster followed each new delay or failure only intensified the radical anti-slavery sentiment and made the demand for emancipation more emphatic and threatening the culmination of this dissatisfaction was an editorial signed by horace greeley and printed in the new york tribune of august twentieth entitled the prayer of twenty million two columns of bitter and unjust accusations and complaints addressed to mr lincoln charging him with ignoring disregarding and defying the laws already enacted against slavery mr lincoln answered it in a letter published in the national intelligencer of washington august twenty third the document challenges comparison with the state papers of all times and all countries for its lucidity and its courage as to the policy i seem to be pursuing as you say i have not meant to leave anyone in doubt i would save the union i would save it the shortest way under the constitution the sooner the national authority can be restored the nearer the union will be the union as it was if there be those who would not save the union unless they could at the same time save slavery i do not agree with them if there be those who would not save the union unless they could at the same time destroy slavery i do not agree with them my paramount object in this struggle is to save the union and it is not either to save or to destroy slavery if i could save the union without freeing any slave i would do it and if i could save it by freeing all the slaves i would do it and if i could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone i would also do that what i do about slavery and the colored race i do because i believe it helps to save the union and what i forbear i forbear because i do not believe it would help to save the union i shall do less whenever i shall believe what i am doing hurts the cause and i shall do more whenever i shall believe doing more will help the cause i shall try to correct errors when shown to be errors and i shall adopt new views so fast as they shall appear to be true views the greeley faction as it was called not only pursued mr lincoln through the press and pulpit and platform an unending procession of radical committees and delegations waited upon him although he was at that time by his own statement adding or changing a line of the proclamation touching it up here and there he seems almost invariably to have argued against emancipation with those who came to plead for it it was only his way of making his own judgment surer he was not only examining every possible reason for emancipation he was steadily seeking reasons against it 
perhaps the best illustration preserved to us of this intellectual method of lincoln is his argument to a committee from the religious denominations of chicago who came to him on september thirteenth what good would a proclamation of emancipation from me do especially as we are now situated i do not want to issue a document that the whole world will see must necessarily be inoperative like the pope's bull against the comet would my word free the slaves when i cannot even enforce the constitution in the rebel states is there a single court or magistrate or individual that would be influenced by it there and what reason is there to think it would have any greater effect upon the slaves than the late law of congress which i approved and which offers protection and freedom to the slaves of rebel masters who come within our lines yet i cannot learn that that law has caused a single slave to come over to us and suppose they could be induced by a proclamation of freedom from me to throw themselves upon us what should we do with them how can we feed and care for such a multitude if we were to arm them i fear that in a few weeks the arms would be in the hands of the rebels and indeed thus far we have not had arms enough to equip our white troops i will mention another thing though it meets only your scorn and contempt there are fifty thousand bayonets in the union armies from the border slave states it would be a serious matter if in consequence of a proclamation such as you desire they should go over to the rebels the letter to greeley the passages quoted above show how the president was wrestling with the question there is every indication indeed that an incessant struggle against violent emancipation went on in his mind through the whole period he regarded it as the act of a dictator he feared it might be fruitless he dreaded the injury it would do the loyal people of the south he said once to a friend that he had prayed to the almighty to save him from the necessity of it adopting the very language of christ if it be possible let this cup pass from me in talking to the chicago delegations who argued that it was god's will that he issue a proclamation he said i hope it will not be irreverent for me to say that if it is probable that god would reveal his will to others on a point so connected with my duty it might be supposed he would reveal it directly to me for unless i am more deceived in myself than i often am it is my earnest desire to know the will of providence in this matter and if i can learn what it is i will do it these are not however the days of miracles and i suppose it will be granted that i am not to expect a direct revelation i must study the plain physical facts of the case ascertain what is possible and learn what appears to be wise and right the victory for which the president waited came on september seventeenth mcclellan had followed lee into maryland and defeated him the president was at his summer-house at the soldiers home when the news of antietam reached him he at once finished the second draft of the emancipation proclamation and called the cabinet together on monday september twenty second secretary chase recorded in his diary that day how after reading his colleagues a chapter from artemus ward the president took a graver tone the words he spoke as recorded by mr chase are a remarkable revelation of the man's feelings at the moment 
i have as you are aware thought a great deal about the relation of this war to slavery and you all remember that several weeks ago i read to you an order i had prepared on this subject which on account of objections made by some of you was not issued ever since then my mind has been much occupied with this subject and i have thought all along that the time for acting on it might probably come i think the time has come now i wish it was a better time i wish that we were in a better condition the action of the army against the rebels has not been quite what i should have best liked but they have been driven out of maryland and pennsylvania is no longer in danger of invasion when the rebel army was at frederick i determined as soon as it should be driven out of maryland to issue a proclamation of emancipation such as i thought most likely to be useful i said nothing to any one but i made the promise to myself and hesitating a little to my maker the rebel army is now driven out and i am going to fulfil that promise i have got you together to hear what i have written down i do not wish your advice about the main matter for that i have determined for myself this i say without intending anything but respect for any one of you but i already know the views of each on this question they have been heretofore expressed and i have considered them as thoroughly and carefully as i can what i have written is that which my reflections have determined me to say if there is anything in the expressions i use or in any minor matter which any of you thinks had best be changed i shall be glad to receive the suggestions one other observation i will make i know very well that many others might in this matter as in others do better than i can and if i was satisfied that the public confidence was more fully possessed by any one of them than by me and knew of any constitutional way in which he could be put in my place he should have it i would gladly yield it to him but though i believe that i have not so much of the confidence of the people as i had some time since i do not know that all things considered any other person has more and however this may be there is no way in which i can have any other man put where i am i am here i must do the best i can and bear the responsibility of taking the course which i feel i ought to take the proclamation appeared in the newspapers of the following morning one substantial addition had been made to the document since july twenty second it now declared that the government of the united states would recognize and maintain the freedom of the person set at liberty there was no exultation in the president's mind indeed there was almost a groan in the words which the night after he had given it out he addressed to a party of serenaders i can only trust in god that i have made no mistake the events of the fall brought him little encouragement indeed the promise of emancipation seemed to affect nothing but discontent and uneasiness stocks went down troops fell off in five great states indiana illinois ohio pennsylvania and new york the elections went against him little but menaces came from europe many said that the president would not dare in the face of the unrest of the country fulfil his promise and issue the proclamation but when congress opened on december first he did submit the proclamation together with the plan for compensated emancipation which he had worked out 
over one half of the message in fact was given to this plan mr lincoln pleaded with congress for his measure as he had never pleaded before he argued that it would end the struggle and save the union forever that it would cost no blood at all that congress could do it if they would unite with the executive that the good people would respond and support it if appealed to it is not he said can any of us imagine better but can we all do better object whatsoever is possible still the question occurs can we do better the dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate to the stormy present the occasion is piled high with difficulty and we must rise with the occasion as our case is new so we must think anew and act anew we must disenthrall ourselves and then we shall save our country fellow-citizens we cannot escape history we of this congress and this administration will be remembered in spite of ourselves no personal significance or insignificance can spare one or another of us the fiery trial through which we pass will light us down in honor or dishonor to the latest generation we say we are for the union the world will not forget that we say this we know how to save the union the world knows we do know how to save it we even we here hold the power and bear the responsibility in giving freedom to the slave we assure freedom to the free honorable alike in what we give and what we preserve we shall nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope of earth other means may succeed this could not fail the way is plain peaceful generous just a way which if followed the world will forever applaud and god must forever bless as the first of january drew near many friends of the proclamation doubted that mr lincoln would keep his promise among these was the rev byron sunderland of washington at that time chaplain of the senate and one of the most aggressively loyal ministers in the city dr sunderland feared that there was truth in the rumor that the president would withdraw not issue the proclamation on the first of january and on the sunday before the new year he preached a sermon on the subject mr z s robbins of washington a friend of mr lincoln asked dr sunderland to go with him to the president and urge him to keep his promise we were ushered into the cabinet room says dr sunderland it was very dim but one gas-jet burning as we entered mr lincoln was standing at the farther end of the long table which filled the middle of the room as i stood by the door i am so very short that i was obliged to look up to see the president mr robbins introduced me and i began at once by saying i have come mr president to anticipate the new year with my respects and if i may to say to you a word about the serious condition of this country go ahead doctor replied the president every little helps but i was too much in earnest to laugh at his sally at my smallness mr president i continued they say that you are not going to keep your promise to give us the emancipation proclamation that it is your intention to withdraw it well doctor said mr lincoln you know peter was going to do it but when the time came he didn't mr president i continued i have been studying peter 
he did not deny his master until after his master rebuked him in the presence of the enemy you have a master too mr lincoln the american people don't deny your master until he has rebuked you before all the world my earnestness seemed to interest the president and his whole tone changed immediately sit down dr sunderland he said let us talk we seated ourselves in the room and for a moment the president was silent his elbow resting on the table his big gnarled hands closed over his forehead then looking up gravely at me he began to speak doctor if it had been left to you and me there would have been no war if it had been left to you and me there would have been no cause for this war but it was not left to us god has allowed men to make slaves of their fellows he permits this war he has before him a strange spectacle we on our side are praying him to give us victory because we believe we are right but those on the other side pray him too for victory believing they are right what must he think of us and what is coming from the struggle what will be the effect of it all on the whites and on the negroes and then suddenly a ripple of amusement broke the solemn tone of his voice as for the negroes doctor and what is going to become of them i told ben wade the other day that it made me think of a story i read in one of my first books aesop's fables it was an old edition and had curious rough woodcuts one of which showed four white men scrubbing a negro in a potash kettle filled with cold water the text explained that the men thought that by scrubbing the negro they might make him white just about the time they thought they were succeeding he took cold and died now i am afraid that by the time we get through this war the negro will catch cold and die the laugh had hardly died away before he resumed his grave tone and for half an hour he discussed the question of emancipation he stated it in every light putting his point so clearly that each statement was an argument he showed the fullest appreciation of every side it was like a talk of one of the old prophets and though he did not tell me at the end whether the proclamation would be issued or not i went home comforted and uplifted and i believed in abraham lincoln from that day mr lincoln had no idea of withdrawing the proclamation on december thirtieth he read the document to his cabinet and asked the members to take copies home and give him their criticisms the next day at cabinet meeting these criticisms and suggestions were presented by the different members mr lincoln took them all to his office where during that afternoon in the morning of january first eighteen sixty three he rewrote the document he was called from it at eleven o'clock to go to the east room and begin the customary new year's handshaking it was the middle of the afternoon before he was free and back in the executive chamber where the emancipation proclamation which in the interval had been duly engrossed at the state department and brought to the white house by secretary seward and his son was waiting his signature they found the president alone in his room writes frederick seward the broad sheet was spread out before him on the cabinet table mr lincoln dipped his pen in the ink and then holding it a moment above the paper seemed to hesitate looking around he said i never in my life felt more certain that i was doing right than i do in signing this paper 
but i have been receiving calls and shaking hands since nine eleven o'clock this morning till my arm is stiff and numb now this signature is one that will be closely examined and if they find my hand trembled they will say he had some compunctions but anyway it is going to be done so saying he slowly and carefully wrote his name at the bottom of the proclamation at last the emancipation proclamation was a fact but there was little rejoicing in the heart of the man who had framed and given it to the world in issuing it all he had dared hope was that in the long run it would give greater gain than loss he was not confident that this would be so but he was willing to risk it hope and fear and doubt contended over the new policy and uncertain conflict he said months later as he had foreseen dark days followed there were mutinies in the army there was ridicule there was a long interval of waiting for results nothing but the greatest care in enforcing the proclamation could make it a greater good than evil and mr lincoln now turned all his energies to this new task we are like whalers he said one day who have been long on a chase we have at last got the harpoon into the monster but we must now look how we steer or with one flop of his tail he will send us all into eternity End of section eight.